In the middle of Parsha, I'll be honest with you, I actually had something very different planned. Um, I was going to do the Haftarah, uh, which is something that we don't get too often. It's the Haftarah of Parsha Pinchas when it's not during the three weeks. And that is the story of Eliel, Bahar Chorev, which is a great story by itself. Uh, but I figured a little unfair to the people in Chutzlarts who are listening because they don't get to hear that after at all. And they want something to share at the table that's going to be somehow connected. Uh, and the second thing is that over the course of Shabbat, um, I thought about this uh, story a little bit and was struck by something. In the middle of Parshat Pinchas, we have a unique pasuk. And I'll say it even stronger, the most popular pasuk in all of Tanakh is what? Which pasuk shows up more than any other pasuk in Tanakh? Vaidaber Adonai Amoshalimor. There are no there are more of that than anything else. Matter of fact, there's way more of that than anything else, because there's not a lot of psukim that repeat verbatim. And we have an odd inversion of that here in Pasuk Tedvav. And it's a unique inversion. It's the only place it shows up. The person with whom Hashem spoke more than anybody else, Moshe Rabbeinu, the only time turns it around and Vayedaber Moshe El Adonai Lemor, which gives the sense that Moshe is commanding, which of course is really hard to figure out how that works, but that seems to be what it is. But let's see the background of it and see where it comes from. In the middle of Parshat Pinchas, and <clears throat> place this toward in the 40th year, I'm not going to give the context yet because that will be part of the shiur. Hashem turns to Moshe and says, Source 1, Vayom Adonai Moshe, Alei Elhar Ha'avarim Hazet, which means, by the way, they are camped at the mountain that Moshe is going to die on. Go up to this Har Ha'avarim, and from there you go up, you can see the land. You go up, and then you're going to join your people. It's a euphemism for dying, just like Aharon did, as we saw in Pashat Chukat. Um, there's a lot to say about the Ka'asher Nasaf. The simple Pashat of Ka'asher Nasaf is the same Pasuk. Because is this next pasuk? Kasher imuritem pim remain baritzin mirat aida akdin sheni v'mayim le'inehem. In other words, Haron had to pass on before entering the land because of his failure at meimriva, which is itself is very difficult. What did Aaron do? Sachakot meimriva, and so the same thing with you. Uh, there's yet what to add on kasher nesaf Aaron achicha, and it may be on one level what Moshe turns around and asks for, which is. The command that Hashem gave to Moshe to go with Aaron up to the mountain and to bid him farewell was to take Elazar with him and to transfer the garments from Aharon to Elazar. And Aharon would die in, we assume, a simple shroud or whatever. And that then uh, Moshe was to come down and did come down with Elazar wearing the big day kuna, in which everybody understood two things on the spot. Thing one is Aharon was gone. And that led to the morning. Same thing, too, is that Elazar had been invested as the next Kohen Gadol. And people saw that, walking down with Moshe. So you can argue that Moshe, when Hashem says to Moshe, Kasher, Nesaf, that Moshe now has an in to get done what he wants to get done, which is to say, well, if you want me to pass on like Aaron did, Aaron was able to see his successor in his life. 
I want to see the same thing. I don't want to pass on without knowing who's going to take over. You could make that argument. Yeah, Jason. Uh, in regard to, you just mentioned earlier that the punishment to Aharon and even to Moshe seems so out of line for what they did. But in a certain way, if you compare it to the Ash Zara, where they did something that God didn't ask, you couldn't you say that they deserve the punishment, but God did a chesed by not doing it immediately? And yeah, gave- we could, but we're not, we're, memory uh-huh. God is a whole different part, and uh-huh. I'm not going there. Right. Um, uh, so that's what, that's what Hashem tells Moshe to do. Moshe turns around and says something, and again, this is the only time that it happens. And by the way, there are times that Moshe demands of God. There are times that Moshe cajoles God. There are times that Moshe in, in presents God with an ultimatum. God rejects the ultimatum, which makes it not really an ultimatum. But you never have this phrasing. And what does Moshe say? God should appoint God who knows everybody's spirits and everybody's desires, everybody's whatever that means, but God is familiar with the inner workings of everybody. Ish al ha'ida, a man over the eda, meaning somebody who should lead them. This person should lead them out. And simple reading of this, like Rashi points out, is to lead them out in war and bring them back from war. The congregation should not be like a flock without a shepherd. We can all understand that. And we all understand, and certainly we've lived through it in the past couple of years, the importance of having a smooth transition of leadership and of having everybody be on the same page and they'll have the nation be on the same page and say, this is our new leader, and to have it confirmed by the old leader. We get that, and we understand why the scene of Elazar coming down the mountain, the day Kuna was so powerful as that transition. Which leads us to the following question. What was the plan? In other words, Moshe initiates a challenge to God. And God responds to it. We're going to take a look at the response in, in a minute. But I want you to file this question away. What was the plan otherwise? Now, you can ask that question about several other stories in Bamidbar. I'll quickly adumbrate the story of Pesach Sheni. What would have happened had nobody come forward? People said, okay, we're Tommy, we're Tommy, we can't do it too bad, and uh, and not come forward. Would Hashem then turn to Moshe and said, oh, by the way, it's uh, the beginning of VR. Tell all the people who missed it last month they can do it now? We don't know. And, of course, the bigger question, which is in this week's parasha, is what would have happened had Benotzlovchad not had the moxie to come and do what they did? Would Hashem have presented Parshat Nachalot the way he did with the Ish It goes to the daughters. We don't know. The Midrash famously says, uh, and since the people who wanted to do the Korban Pesach were so zealous, they got the credit for initiating it. Same thing with Moron Safchad, of course. We only have words of praise for them, and they were Zochad that all Parshat Nachalot was said because of them. But you really do have to step back and ask the question. What would have happened had Moshe not said this here? You know, it's what seemed to be the plan. Now, God responds to the plan, and let's see what his response is. And that is, No surprise there. Throughout the entire narrative, Yoshua has been the one person who's been closest to Moshe at all sorts of point, junctures. It's critical junctures. First of all, Moshe appointed him without seeming to 
make a decision about it. It seemed to be an automatic to lead the war against Amalek. Second of all, when Moshe goes up to Har Sinai, Yoshua is the one who's the go-between. He's the one who's part way up Har Sinai with him. He's the one who warns him about the sounds from the eagle, etc. Then when there's the, the, the uh, crisis of leadership that happens in Balotcha, and there's a mass nevoah happening, it is when the young man, whoever he is, comes running to Moshe and tells him that Eldad and Medad are having prophecy, Yoshua is the one who speaks up and said, you should put him in prison. Yoshua is clearly the close disciple to Moshe. So there's no big surprise here that Yoshua is the guy. So what's the chidush here? And why does it happen this way that Moshe challenges God, and God turns and says, okay, take Yoshua. That's first of all. Second of all, and it's really second of all, because first of all is what was the plan otherwise? But beyond that, take a look at what happens. What was Moshe's concern? Moshe's concern seemed to be a military concern. Who's going to be their leader who will take them out and bring them back? Hashem's response to Moshe is take Yoshua, Isha Asher Ruachbo, and Ruachbo can be interpreted a lot of different ways. So it can be Ruach Gvura and Ruach Eitza and somebody who is good at leading the military. That's fine. You're going to put your hand on him, and putting your hand on him indicates a transfer of power. Okay? This is where it gets a little strange. You're going to stand him up in front of Elazar, there's going to be a ceremony, and in front of everybody. You're going to charge him in their presence, meaning in their presence you're going to say, Yoshua, you're taking over. Your glory will come on him, meaning by doing the smicha and doing this whole public acknowledgement of Yeshua as the next leader, your glory is going to come unto him. So that everybody listens to him. Now, kol Yisrael is not like kol am Yisrael. It's not the army, it's everybody. Which means we've gone beyond the military concerns. And we'll see that here. So he should stand in front of Elazar, and he should then engage with what we call the Urim Betumim, the Choshen, in order to get the divine response and direction. Now, had I not said Bechol Haida at the end, I would have been fine. It said Alpiv Yetzuv, Alpiv Yavo means that this is all military. And Yoshua will use Elazar as the military intelligence unit, who will then tell him what God's plans are. And based on that, they'll go out to war, they'll come back from war, etc. But the minute it's Bechol Haida, suddenly it's not military anymore. It means it's about all of the movement. All right? And that's the command. What happens? Vayas Moshe, Kasher Tziva and now the mitzvah is turned inside out because it was by the Moshe more, and then Hashem commanded him. So Moshe does what God commands, and that is by Ikachet Yoshua by Medel the Fnei Elazar Kohen the Fnei Kvalaida Mishmochet Yadav Alav by Itzaveu Kasher Dibar Adonai Biad Moshe. He does it beautiful. All right. So I listed the questions. Here we go. First of all, why is this narrative placed here? And now we're going to look a little bit of context. What is happening from the very end of Parshat Balak until this point? So I'll recount it for you. The end of Parshat Balak and beginning of Parshat Pinchas is the story of Benot Moab and Pinchas's heroic, zealous, however you want to describe it, stand that stops the plague. And then there is a census, a huge census of, of all the fighters in all the, in all the uh, tribes 
And then a special separate mention of the Levim. Of course, they're always mentioned separately. Good. And then there's a description of the dividing of the land. And Benos Tavchad step in and do what they do. And then suddenly we have this story. Following this story is the famous Parshat Tmidim Musafin, which leads to the very famous uh, riddle, uh, who is always very happy when he's a guest and miserable at home. You know the answer to that, right? It's a great riddle to ask at home. The answer is Pinchas. Right? Because Pinchas is a guest at every Yontif, because you always read the Musaf as the Maftir, and it's always on a Yontif or a Shodesh, some happy time. But at home, it's almost always during the three weeks, and therefore he's always miserable at home. All right, cute. But the Parshat, Tamid, Shabbat, Rosh Chodesh, Pesach, all the way through the Chagim, that's all the rest of it. Why is this investiture of Yoshua, and even why the death of Moshe, or the call for the Moshe to die, why is that in the middle there? Okay, now, um, Moshe, according to what we're reading in the story here, Moshe was supposed to die. God said, go up to the mountain, take a look, and be finished. And Moshe says what he does, and then Yoshua is appointed, very good. And then what happens later? We suddenly have the war with Midian in Pashat Matot. And Hashem commands Moshe to oversee that war. And then he'll die. Well, when was he supposed to go? Was he supposed to go now? Was What's the, war with, war, what's the whole story of the war with Midian? Who was supposed to oversee that? I noticed that, again, Moshe's demand was military, but the response seems to be greater than that, broader than that. And so that leads to the other question, question four here, which is, is Hashem really responding to Moshe's request, or is there more going on in Hashem's response? And, of course, the real question is, what was the original plan? Moshe is the leader of Am Yisrael. No question. Moshe is told, okay, your time is done, you're going to die. And if at that point Moshe is silent, what do we picture happening? Moshe passes on, and then what? That's the question. What was the original plan? Because it seems that Moshe subverted the original plan by his turning around to God and saying, basically, I'm not leaving until I have a successor. Okay? So we have to, we have to investigate that. So let's take a look at the broader context and see what's going on. Perak Havav, again, has the census. And you see the census here. What is the census of? The census, again, is of soldiers. Now, please take a look at the order in which the armies are described. It's Ruven, Shimon, and then God. Yehuda, Issachar, and then Zevulun. It's Menashe, then Ephraim, then Binyamin. And then it's, um, it's Dan, Naphtali, Sorry, Asher and Naphtali. Don is in here somewhere. All right. So it goes through them, and it goes sort of in the order of the Machaneh, but not exactly. If it was the order of the Machaneh, who would be first? If it was the order of the Machaneh, who would be first? Yehuda. Yehuda would be first. Yehuda is Zacharis Vulun. Then you'd have Reuben, Shimon, and God. And then you would have whom? Ephraim and Menasheh and Binyamin. Not Menasheh, Ephraim and Binyamin. So it means it's like the Machanet, but not exactly the Machanet. What is the purpose of the census? What is the purpose of the census? And then, following the census, we, uh, we're, told, we're told the complete number, 
And then Hashem says, these are the people who are going to get the Nahala of the land. And it's based on how many there are, etc. Right? And then there's a count of the Levi'im and saying they don't get any land. And, um, and then the final count of everybody and says, okay, and there were nobody here who were of adult age when they left me time except Kalev and Yoshua. Very good. Then Benot Slavchad come forward and say what they say. And then what happens? Hashem says to Moshe, come on up. And Moshe says, Yoshua, and Yoshua is appointed. And after that, we have Pashat HaKorbanot. Pashat HaKorbanot, by the way, has an interesting refrain, which is, Alolat HaTamid. The principle that we get, the 10th parak of Zvachim, which is, is learned from here. That every korban is always presented as, Alolat HaTamid, which means first you bring the Tamid, then you bring Korban Musaf Shabbat. First you bring the Tamid, then you bring Korban Musaf Rosh Chodesh. And if Rosh Chodesh falls on Shabbat, it's Tamid, Shabbat, Rosh Chodesh, because Kol HaTadir Mechavero, Kodemet Chavero, and it's something that we see here in the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah, Melvad, Olat HaChodesh, Ve'olat HaTamid. Because Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Hashanah is also Rosh Chodesh. So you have Tamid, then Rosh Chodesh, then Rosh Hashanah, and by the way, if it's Shabbat, it's Tamid, Shabbat, Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah. All learned from here. This refrain of Alolata Tamid seems to be a bit much because we already got the principle the first time. Why do we need it every single time? And the last thing I want to point out about the Heksher is that after that point, there's a very short section about Parshat Nidarim, which is followed by the command about the War of Midian that I mentioned. And in the command of the War of Midian, notice how it's presented. Um, Hashem says to Moshe, go to war against Midian, and then you'll die. Which means somehow, this appointment of Yoshua allowed several things to happen before Moshe died. Parshat Midin, Parshat Nedarim, and Mechamit Midian. And Mechamit Midian is supposed to be the last thing he does. And it pretty much is. Now, in the war of Midian, Moshe turns to the, to the Am, that's the army, and says, Heichaltsu me'itchem anashim l'atzava. Let people volunteer, come forward, and they will go and, pre- and, and give the Nekama of Hashem against Midian. Elef lamateh, elef lamateh. Simple read of it is 1,000 per tribe, the Chomatot Yisrael, and of course the result of that is 12,000 soldiers. And Moshe sends them, Moshe sends them, elef lamateh, along with whom? Pinchas ben Elazar Kohen, with the Koyakodesh, etc. Okay, and that's the war. Now, what is it that's going on here? And by the way, one last piece is that later in Bamibar, we then get the names of all the people who are going to divide the land. But notice how they're dividing the land. Elazar, Kohen, Yoshua, Binun, and one Nasip or Shevet, and here's their names. What is it that's going on? So I'd like to make the following suggestion. What was the original plan for Am Yisrael? Let me ask it a little differently. How many is Am Yisrael? So we all grew up with Federation slogans and beautiful songs, that it, which is Am Echad. question is, is that really accurate? It, if you look in the Torah, it doesn't seem to be accurate. It's much more accurate to speak about either 12 or 13 Amin. You have every tribe with its own census and its own location and its own Nasi. The command is that when we come into the land, we're each going to inherit separate land. 
we're going to set up a judicial system, a tribunal, which is tribal and not national. In other words, it's all going to be tribal living. That seems to be the model. Now, let's roll it back and see what's happened. Why is Am Yisrael together as 12 or 13 nations right now? Simply because they went through a common experience, one common experience, which was Shibud. They were enslaved as a nation. Even though they grew into 12 different nations or 13 different nations, they were part of, they are part of, an ancient breed that unites them. And so as a result of that, they have the Shibud, they also had the Yitziah, they had Kriyat Yamsuf, they had been taken care of through the desert, they of course had to come to Sinai and make a unified breed. But after that unified breed at the foot of Sinai, what do they look like? What they look like is a confederacy, a confederation of different groups that are organized based on whatever system, which is perhaps which met- matrilineal connection they have to the family, Leah, Rachel, etc., and maybe proximity of the land that they know they're going to inherit in Israel, because maybe that's already part of the scheme. And they're camped together because right now they have a common fate of marching through the desert. And, and they have the common Mishkan, which is Mishkinat Hashem B'nei. So what's the vision? The vision is we're then going to come into the land. We already know what land we're supposed to conquer. Because um, Yehuda, after all, Kalev goes to Hebron. We'll find out about that later in Sefer Yoshua. Every tribe seems to have a nice sense of where it's supposed to settle. So the simple read of it is, each army is going to go in and fight for its land. And by the way, each army has an Asi. Each army has a leader. So Shevet Dan can go in, and let's ignore what happens later on with Reuven and, and God. Shevet Dan evidently was originally supposed to inherit in the northern part of the country. Shevet Dan will come in with the Nasi, the Medan, and they'll go up to their territory, and they'll conquer it. And every nation will conquer, and maybe they'll help each other, and maybe they won't help each other. I ain't safe for Shoftim. And when all the dust is settled, everybody will be in their place, and there'll be a common Mishkan, and there'll be a common law, and they'll have a confederation of 12 states, essentially, or 12 states, with one group being the civil servants, D.C., if you will. All right, they're the civil servants. That's the vision. And that does seem to be the vision in Sefer Dvarim, partially. Hashem says to Moshe, basically, your job is done. You took them out of Mitzrayim, you brought them to Har Sinai, you've orchestrated all of the things that are necessary for them to seem to get them through, and with all of the difficulties, you've maintained the leadership, and now there's a new generation of leadership which is tribal, not national. The nation is now tribes. And so your time has come. And what's the proof of that? Because what happens right beforehand? Right after the last event that happens to all of Am Yisrael as a group, where we don't count them by num- by tribes, which is the Magifa after Benot Moab, the next thing that happens is Hashem says, count them by tribe. And the counting by tribes is not exactly like the Seder of the Machanet. Reuven comes first, and Menashe is before Ephraim, so there's a little bit of mixing in there. 
And parenthetically, in the Septuagint, the order is very different. It's Reuven, Shimon, Yehuda, Yisachar, Zbulun, um, God, Asher, and then uh, Menashe, Ephraim, uh, Naftali, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Don and Naftali. All right, clearly divided by the houses. And so that's the division. Because now we have the, we're on the, on the cusp of entering the land. Your last act is to bid them farewell, give them your farewell speech, and they're going to go in as 12 separate armies and conquer the land. Conquer each one of them, conquer their land. Hashem comes and says, they're not ready. Moshe comes and says, they're not ready. Moshe comes and says, You know that they are a people who everybody thinks differently and they've got their own ideas and they need one person to lead them. Somebody can lead them out and somebody can bring them back. Because otherwise they will be something that of course reverberates from Moshe who was a Roetzel. They'll be like a flock without a shepherd. Hashem accedes. Now, does it mean that that was always Hashem's plan, or that Hashem works with Moshe Rabbeinu and sees Moshe Rabbeinu as a partner? That's up for the theologians. But Hashem does accede and say, okay, take Yoshua, and what are you going to do with Yoshua? I don't want you to limit him to what you think it's about. It's not just about having one general who's going to lead them in until they conquer the land and then settle. But rather, this general has to be somebody who works like you worked with Aaron, who works with Elazar. And not only that, but he's going to oversee the Nachalat Aretz. And so now what happens? He says, take Yoshua and immediately make a public association between him and Elazar HaKohen so that the, the people are all aware. Not just the army, the people are all aware. The people who are going to be farming their land and living different places and marrying within or not within the tribes, to other tribes. That they should all see that Yehoshua is operating as you operated with Aaron, he's operating with Elazar. It's not just a military position. And so what's the very next command that Hashem gives? That which unites the nation. And what unites the nation? Korbanot. There's only one place for Korbanot. And every day you're going to make a Korban twice a day. And every Shabbat, the Musaf, and every Rosh Hashanah, etc. And what's the basis? The basis is the Korban Tamid. Al-Olat Tamid, Al-Olat Tamid, Al-Olat Tamid. The constancy, the consistency, the connection, that unity is what it's all about. Meaning, whether it's this was always the plan or Moshe has been mechadesh the plan, the direction is ultimately not a loose federation of 12 tribes, but rather a single nation with 12 subsets. And as a result of that, the leader who's going to take them in is not just a military leader, but he's also a religious leader, also a political leader. As a religious leader, he interacts with Elazar, and as a political leader, he's the one who will also oversee the division of the land and where everybody's going to be. And as a result of that, what's Moshe's real last act, the new last act of Moshe that he's going to do before he gives his farewell speech, which is Sefer Dvarim? It is a single war against Midian, which becomes a model now for Yoshua. Because after all, Yoshua is not leading 12 armies, he's leading one army. 
And in that one army, for every particular action, for every particular conquest, for every particular city or coalition that he has to fight against, he's going to draft soldiers. And those soldiers will come from each of the tribes. And so therefore, and he had 1,000 from each tribe come in. It becomes the model for Yoshua. Notice, by the way, that in the, in the war of Midian, Yoshua doesn't play a role. Moshe sends them out with Pinchas. When they come back, Yeshua is present for part of the accounting. Yeshua is not part of it because Yeshua now is, is apprenticing. He's learning. This is how you do the war. And how do you do the war? You get everybody involved. It's a united effort. And you make sure that Pinchas is there. You make sure that the Kohen is there. You make sure that this is not just a military action. It's a military action with Hashem's presence in the camp. And so I believe that that's what has happened in this parasha. And the replacement of this interaction between Hashem and Moshe, which then turns with this unique phrasing, and then Hashem's response, which takes what Moshe requested and takes it further to the full position of what Yoshua becomes. Um, and it's not intended as a permanent position. It's intended as the next generation's necessary position until they're finally settled in their land and everybody then goes tribal and that lasts until the next very big move, which is Shmuel. But that's uh, a different shear for different So how does, how does that work with Olad HaTamid again being mentioned every single time? Because the the point of the Olad HaTamid is the constancy and the consistency of Am Yisrael, all of them, they all contributed towards this, and they're all focused on one place where this Korban is happening. That's the that's just like the, the foundational piece of the Korban is its Tmidut, and the Musaf is on top of that. In the same way, the unity of Am Yisrael is the foundational piece, and the separate tribal piece is is on top of that. 